friends and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you guys are having a great Monday morning if you're listening to this on Monday or if you're listening to it later. I just hope you're having a great day. I always want my podcast to be a place you can come to to listen to while you're getting chores done or while you're chilling out while you're working and just to kind of be a light spot or a place to think and a little break from your day, if you will. So I hope that's the place that you're in right now. I know the holidays are so different for everybody. Some people really love the holidays. Some people get kind of sad around the holidays. Some people feel nostalgic. I think especially this year, I know a lot of people aren't seeing their family, so it can just be a tough time. So I want this podcast just to be kind of a break from all that if you're in that spot. But I'm so excited for today's episode. It's going to be another advice episode, and these are some of my favorite episodes to do because it's just a means for me to really chat with you guys, even though you're not actually here. I don't do these in like any particular order. I just sometimes throw them in every now and then because I think that they're fun, and it's just nice to get to kind of give my thoughts. I'm obviously not an expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm not any of these things. This is just me, a gal, giving another gal or guy some advice, so... I really hope you guys enjoyed this. I got questions from all over the spectrum, some on finances, some on relationships, some on imposter syndrome, which I really wanted to talk about because that is something I've been dealing with kind of more lately, and the holidays, just everything in between. So I thought it would be a very good, just applicable episode to put out there. And if you guys ever want to be in one of these episodes, I always ask for submissions on my Instagram. So my Instagram is just at Michelle Reed, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-R-E-E-D. It's also in the show notes, but essentially I just go on there and ask you guys to email me at a certain email address and you guys submit some. So I got probably over like 50 submissions, so I have a lot to get through. I don't know if we'll make it through all of them, but I do want to get through as many as possible and probably make this episode closer to an hour if I could get there. We'll see. Maybe I could do that this time. That would be nice. I also just always wanted to do like a little catch-up in the beginning of these episodes. I started doing this, I think, a couple episodes ago, but a lot of people said they really liked it. It kind of helps ground the episode, if you will, and kind of share where I'm at in the world where my head's at. And so today it is the first week of December, which is very exciting. I'm a big Christmas fan. I love Christmas. It's such a happy season, but I will say this year I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic because if you guys don't know, I used to live in New York City and this is my first December here fully in Texas in a long time. And December in New York City is probably one of the most magical times. Last year, this month, I actually got engaged. And so I think the thing with the holidays that sometimes trips me up, while it's such a happy time, I have this thing where I always compare where I'm at this Christmas to where I was last Christmas. And I remember I just quit my job. I was like living it up in the city, just got engaged. My channel was performing really well. So it was just a very happy point in my life where I felt like I had a lot of things going for me versus this year, I just feel a little stagnant. I don't know why. I also have some FOMO because all my friends are doing Vlogmas on YouTube, which is where you upload every day until Christmas. And I told myself that that wasn't good for me to do because I always end up putting out content that I'm just not super crazy about. And so I have FOMO for everyone doing Vlogmas and I'm missing being in New York City for the holidays, but I'm just trying to be grateful for where I'm at. I'm so thankful, obviously, It's my first Christmas with Aiden, which is really special, but it also means that it's his first Christmas away from his family because we did Thanksgiving with his family last week. And so it's just different. And I just kind of want to normalize that 
if the holidays are sometimes a little bit hard for you, that that is totally normal. It's totally okay to feel that way. My family is just growing so much too that I feel like we're always in different spots. Like my brother Derek and his wife aren't going to be here this year. And it's just weird when your whole family can't be together. It just kind of trips you up. But I'm trying to kind of press into things that do make me feel really appreciative for the holidays and the Advent season as a Christian, what the purpose of Christmas is, you know, that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is being born. It's just a very special time of life. And even if you don't have all that extra stuff, it's still really special. So just trying to remind myself of that. I've had such a great week. I feel like I have been so off these past few weeks, but this week, man, we got back from visiting Aiden's family in Vermont and I just feel like on top of the world. I really like having kind of a reset and coming back to my home and really appreciating it here and appreciating work and being in our little Christmassy apartment. We went and did like a really fun walk through all these lights in Dallas and it's just been a good week and I love when you have just a solid week of feeling great. Nothing can really beat it. I also got very, very, very exciting news today that I can't share yet, but I will share later on and I'm very excited about. So that'll be coming too. And there's just a lot of good things for a period of life that has been very different, very abnormal. That's literally just a synonym for different. There are still things that I'm very thankful for. I'm also just very thankful for you guys. I feel like over Thanksgiving, I just really wanted to appreciate having these listeners. I truly feel that my podcast listeners are just my core. Spotify did that little like wrapped thing where they share people's most listened to podcasts. And the amount of people who tagged me in stories saying you guys listen to this podcast the most, it just warms my heart because this was something I started in 2020. It was something I was so scared to do, but now I feel that I'm in a groove with and just really enjoying it. And I'm really thankful for you guys. So thank you so much for listening. I do want to do kind of a podcast rebrand of my cover art and then possibly work on some other things with the podcast. So good things are coming here soon. I'm just thankful for you guys. And with that little update, I think that we will just go ahead and hop right into the advice. So all of these submissions are always kept anonymous, so I just want to put that in. This first one says, My boyfriend's parents moved from the U.S. to Europe as missionaries and founded their own church there. She says, Their American view of Christianity is quite different to the more liberal approach to religion we have over here, and they are pretty conservative. My boyfriend and I have been dating for over two years, but he has never introduced me to his parents or ever mentioned that he has a girlfriend as he is worried that they won't accept me or want me as a part of their family. This is really hard for both of us since, to me, it feels like I am not good enough and have to be kept a secret and he is worried that his family will pressure him to stop seeing me and that it will bring a lot of unrest into his family. I don't really know what to do. My boyfriend is my best friend and we really managed to grow through our cultural differences and I love him. But knowing that his parents severely disapprove of me is a heavy weight on our relationship. Hmm. This one is very hard because at first glance when I was reading this, I was like, oh, well, have you only been dating for a few months? Is it something that's new? But the fact that it's been two years is a little bit alarming that he hasn't, you know, kind of summoned the courage to tell them. I definitely think that you should encourage him to tell his family about you. I think it's really important for a relationship. I know that he's nervous because he's nervous they won't accept you. 
But maybe that's a fear that's kind of being blown out of proportion in a way. Maybe that's just him feeling that they're going to think that way, but they aren't actually going to feel that way. But I know as someone who's also in a relationship, if my now husband but boyfriend at the time was nervous to tell my family, you know, I think that's normal when you first start a relationship because at least with my family, I felt like my family always got really attached to the significant others in my family. And so whenever I first started dating Aiden, I had told them that I was friends with this guy, but I waited a few months to kind of say like, hey, this is actually my boyfriend and share more about him and all that just because I didn't want them to get attached if it wasn't going to go anywhere. But because you're obviously in a committed relationship, it's been two years, I definitely think that he should tell them. I'm not sure how old you are, so maybe you're a little bit younger, but it sounds like you're about the same age as me. I just think you should encourage him and maybe just come at it with the perspective of trying to be empathetic for him and understand his point of view. That's always the best way to go about having an argument with someone or don't even go into it thinking this has to be an argument, but just bring it up and tell him that it's something that's on your mind. Tell him how it makes you feel, even if that's not what he's trying to do. And just kind of have that conversation because I definitely think that can be a deal breaker in the long term if he's just never going to tell his family about you because, you know, if you see this as your forever person, they say when you get married, you marry the other person's family. So I think it's important to have that conversation, but I'm so sorry you're going through that. That's really hard and I definitely understand how you feel the way that you do because I would probably feel even worse than you do because that definitely stinks a lot. This one says, throughout my life, specifically college, and now the beginning of my professional career, I've struggled with imposter syndrome. Your recent podcast on self-love got me thinking more about this as well. I consider myself a self-confident person, but at the same time, I struggle with feelings of inadequacy and feeling like I'm undeserving of success. I think it's just kind of part of doing something new and being in your 20s, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and if you've experienced anything similar. I'm also a Christian and I've often struggled with reconciling those feelings with the knowledge that God created us in his image. You mentioned in a podcast that you try to decipher what thoughts are from the enemy and that is something that I've been pondering in relation to the struggle. Yes, I feel this all the time and the older I get, the more I feel it. The older you get, the more accomplishments you get and if you're in a kind of more traditional job, you get promoted and it's easy to really question if you actually deserve the things that you're getting and psyching yourself out. I've done this so much with YouTube lately specifically. I find myself just comparing myself to other people, feeling that I'm not good enough to be doing what I'm doing, feeling guilty for, you know, having this job when other people in my mind are working even harder than me. And I think something that I've just always had to remember in the back of my mind is that God does place us where we're meant to be and he's never going to place you in a situation that you aren't a meant to be grown from and b just aren't meant to be you know he knows the plans that he has for us and he has us there for a reason I don't think that you necessarily need to muster this confidence this is something I talked about in that episode or whatever but a lot of us just kind of try to fake it till we make it if you will and act like we deserve to be there and I think at the end of the day, just being grateful and always expressing gratitude and making sure you truly feel that and giving back while also recognizing that, you know, you're meant to be where you are and you should be proud of the place that you're at is the only way to get past that. 
but also getting past comparison and just knowing that your track is not someone else's. And these are all things that I can sit here and say, but I still struggle with. It's a daily thing too, and just overthinking. And it's just hard. And I think that's something that I would always talk about with Aiden, because sometimes we look at our life and we're like, wow, we live a really nice life. And we kind of feel guilty for living the way that we do. But something we always try to do is spin that into gratitude and just being thankful instead of feeling guilty for being in the place that we're at. So I hope this made sense. I know it's not an easy thing to get over and that's probably not the answer you wanted, but yes, I do indeed struggle with imposter syndrome a lot. I'm in college and I feel like I'm way more excited for my post-grad life than college. Everyone says that college is the best time of your life, but it often causes me a lot of anxiety, so that's why I often look forward to graduating. I'm wondering if you have any tips on trying to enjoy college more, anything you wish you would have done differently in college or any misconceptions about post-grad life. I think this is a really good question. I did a podcast on my college experience, or I don't really remember which one that was in, but essentially I had a very odd college experience, got bullied in college, and so I just never really felt that college was the best time of my life. And I can just tell you, that whatever season of life you're in, it's going to be what you make it. And all that being said, I enjoy post-grad life so much more than when I was in college. I do miss going to class and getting grades because I think the thing about post-grad life, you don't get a lot of affirmation when you did in college just from getting a grade. It's not like you write a paper and your professor says it's great and you know that you're on the right track. You don't get a lot of that. If you work a traditional job Sometimes your boss will tell you when you're doing well, when you're not doing well, but especially for me being self-employed, the only validation that I get is comments from other people and growing. And that can be really hard when you're used to getting grades in college, if that makes sense. But with that being said, I love my life now. I love being able to schedule my time. There's so much more freedom outside of college. You get to hang out with the people that you want to hang out with because you're choosing to. I think I know my true real friends because they're people who are actually choosing to hang out with me and it's not just like, oh, we see each other in class. It's not that sort of thing. But I do look back at my college experience and I think that I was too obsessed with my grades. I was too obsessed with wanting a 4.0, with wanting to do well on all these papers when that wasn't necessarily something I needed for the rest of my life. I wish I would have spent some of those nights I spent studying, hanging out with people and really seeking out friendships and just trying new things going to concerts, living life, just being young and enjoying college. So I would say to say yes to things as much as you can, but also don't overthink it. You don't need to overthink college isn't really the best time of my life. Am I doing something wrong? But you also don't necessarily need to think, oh, post-grad life is going to be so much better. I think you just have to enjoy the season of life that you're in for the reason that it's there and just appreciate it. But yeah, looking back, I definitely think I should have just done more and hung out with more people and been a little bit less of an obsessive grade person versus now I say yes to hanging out with people all the time. I say yes to meeting people. I say yes to just doing random things because I didn't necessarily do that in college and I know at the end of the day when I pass away one day, like those are the things I'm going to look back on. So not to say that grades aren't important, obviously to get a great job, to be referred to a certain master's program or something you do need those things but 
life is just not as serious as I think I made it out to be in college. So this one says, I'm curious about something you've mentioned before, though I can't remember if it was in a video or podcast. It was something along the lines about how you didn't have Bible studies or devotions with Aiden or previous partners because marriage, because of how special and sacred it is. I may have heard that wrong, but my question is what type of conversations did you have with Aiden about Christianity and specific beliefs before deciding to get married? And how have your conversations on with God changed after committing to marriage and living together? So I think the difference here is while we were dating, these were conversations. They were things that we would talk about and we would obviously pray for each other separately, but it wasn't something to where we sat down and had a Bible study together and read our Bibles and prayed together. We would go to church together while we were dating and we would talk about the sermons after. So it would be things from, you know, how should we as Christians use our money? How should we view work? How should we view raising a family one day? How should we view, you know, our faith and what it means to be saved? Those kinds of questions I think are important to have while you're dating. But I personally think there's a difference between that and sitting down and having a Bible study with someone. That is just my personal preference. I know everyone is different. This was also just encouragement I had from past pastors or sermons that I would listen to that just felt right for me versus now every Monday we do this marriage journal and in the back of it or at the end of each week there are little like things that you talk about. They're different subjects so it'll be on like money or faith or sex or just like a lot of different things but it'll be kind of like a little bible study and we will do that together and we'll also pray together a lot at that time so I know it may not sound like a difference between dating and being married but there is something I think different about doing those two things separately once you're dating and then once you're married now so I don't know if that makes sense. This is still something I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think a lot of times in, you know, Christianity and faith, people try to make it like, you know, this is the right way to do it. You need to do it this way. But I think especially with dating, the Bible doesn't really talk about dating that much. Like there aren't set in stone right or wrong things to do. This was just something that I had been encouraged by pastors. So we decided to do, but it worked out for us. But it's not something that everyone has to do by any means. So this one is really good and it is just very applicable for me. So I'm going to read this. It says, I'm 25 and if all goes well, I'll be getting my master's in a few weeks. I'm at such a weird point in my life and the pandemic is only making it harder. I'm moving back home and into my childhood bedroom after six and a half years of being on my own. I can't find any jobs in my field and I'm running out of money for rent. I'm so excited to move back home because I'll be closer to my family. And I remember one of your videos, you talked about being homesick for your family and it resonated with me. I was never really homesick until my nieces were born. I always felt like I was missing out. But now that I'm moving back, I already feel homesick for the place I've been living for six and a half years. It takes 11 hours to drive between the two places. Most of my friends live all over the country and the closest one is an hour and a half away, but it's still so sad. I know it's time to move on because there's nothing keeping me here, but it's still so sad. But no, I'm running into another issue of trying to figure out what my exact plans after graduation should be. My boyfriend that I've been living with for the last year accepted a new job, four hours away from my hometown. 
I don't want to be that girl that just follows her boyfriend, but I don't want to do long distance since we've already done that for a few years after he transferred in college. Do I follow him and hope I can find a job closer to him or do I stay closer to my family so I can be a part of my niece's lives? I encourage my boyfriend to take this new job because it's an amazing opportunity and the job market is not great right now. So who knows if another good offer will come along. Sorry if this is all over the place. I think so many people, so many more people than you may even realize are in the same boat right now. I've talked to so many people who are moving back home, moving back to their hometowns, living with their family in their 20s, and I just want to say that it's totally normal. And though you may feel that you're alone in this, you might compare yourself to your friends or whatever, it is totally normal. It doesn't make it any easier, but just to know that you're not alone. My sister, Jamie, she works full-time and she's working remotely right now, but she lives at home too and has gone through a lot of these same struggles of not having her friends at home and just feeling very, you know, far apart. I think from my perspective, you should obviously do whatever you feel called to do in the end, but it might be a lot of change from you know, moving out of the place that you've been living for the past six and a half years to moving to where your boyfriend got his job. I think that might be like an entire 180 versus moving back home and kind of treating it as like a transition time of getting things together, applying for jobs, and maybe you can apply for jobs near your boyfriend while you're at home. But I just think if you move there and, you know, it's hard to find a job it just p might put a lot of strain on your relationship more so than long distance will. I only did long distance with Aiden for a few summers throughout college and it was definitely hard and I would not want to do it if I didn't absolutely have to do it, but I just think it might be even tougher to follow him there and then wait to get a job in an entirely new place where you don't know anyone at all except him versus moving back home with your family. That is just my advice personally, but I know that's really hard, especially when you're moving back to your childhood bedroom. It's easy to feel like you're just taking a step back, but try to change your mindset of, okay, this is just a transition. This isn't the rest of my life. This isn't where I'm going to be the rest of your life. I think it's really smart that you acknowledge that you won't be able to keep up with rent and you had to kind of move back home and maybe treat it as a time to save money and kind of get back at it. And just a time to rest too and spend time with your family and then maybe just see, you know, your boyfriend every now and then because he is four hours away. But that is really tough. I'm obviously not the person to give you the deciding choice. That is just my opinion personally because even moving back to Dallas from New York City was such a 180 for me. Even though this is where I grew up, this is where my family is, I have a lot of familiar places here it still was such a big transition. I can't even imagine if I just moved to like Austin, which is about four hours from Dallas. That would have been such a 180, such a bit because we were even talking about that. Like what if we moved to a different city within Texas? We have a few friends in Austin, but we just thought maybe that would be good. But I was thinking about it and I was like, that would be such a crazy transition going from New York City to a totally different city versus moving back home for a little bit so and that's even how we're viewing our life right now we love texas and i think we'll end up staying here but we just kind of had the notion that this wasn't going to be permanent if we didn't want it to be permanent and that's kind of how you have to view moving home 
even though it may be hard. So this one has a few questions in it, so I'm probably going to answer a couple. The first one is, I grew up in an agnostic family. I want to believe, but I haven't pursued Christ in any sense. How would you recommend I go about exploring religion? I also got another question similar to this, so I wanted to answer it. And I think it's really cool that you're open to exploring something new. I think that that time is one of the most precious times when you're just new to something. You have a very open and like curious soul to learning about something new. I think for Christianity, places to start, it can be kind of daunting just opening up a Bible and, you know, reading the Bible when you know like nothing about anything in it. There is a book that I read a few years ago, even as a Christian, where I was just kind of thinking more about my faith, making my faith my own instead of just something you know, that I was raised with. And it's called Making Sense of God. It's an invitation to the skeptical. It's by Tim Keller. Any of his books are really great, but that book really opened my eyes to kind of, you know, the God that Christians worship. What is he about? Who is he? And kind of an introduction into the Bible. He also has one called The Reason for God. I think that one is a really good book too. So I'll have both those in the show notes if you're interested. But I think those are good places to start. And if you want to read the Bible, I think that reading John is a really good book of the Bible to read. It's kind of one of those that's recommended for people who are new to Christianity. It's a lot about the gospel and, you know, what people actually believe who are Christians. But I think those are good places to start just very kind of new and a practical level, what do these people believe? I think it's a good place to start. And then after that, one of my favorite devotionals that I love to read, it's called New Morning Mercies. It is another good one. I'll have it in the show notes, but it's a daily devotional. If it's something you are interested in, you think Christianity is cool, you want to learn more about it, it's a really good devotional just for daily learning more about Christianity, God, the Bible, and it also has scriptures at the bottom. And you can read different verses within the Bible each morning throughout the devotional. I see. It's one of my favorites. I've talked about it so many times because I just think it's such a good resource and just a really good one. So I'm really touched that you're interested in learning about Christianity. I think it takes a lot to kind of step into something new. And so it makes me really happy. So this one's a little bit longer, but it says, My boyfriend and I have been dating for almost a year, and he is a wonderful man. We share our faith, our views on marriage and family, and we've talked about how we both intend for this relationship to move towards marriage. However, neither of us are ready to get married any time within the next year or two because we're both still enjoying and growing in our independent lives. And we're in the thick of medical school. Recently, it's been difficult to walk this fine line. On one hand, we want to share our feelings for each other and talk about what a life together would look like, but on the other... Every season needs to be enjoyed for its own sake, and it can be confusing to share too much of our hearts when marriage would still quite a bit of time away, would still be quite a bit of time away. Did you experience anything like this with Aiden? If so, how did you navigate emotional boundaries together? So she asked another question, but I'm going to answer this one first. I definitely think that's tough. I mean, I'm just going to be completely honest with me. I think that a lot of people answer these questions and act like they're (laughs) above what other people are struggling with. But we really did talk a lot about what our lives would look like together. And I don't necessarily know if that was a bad thing because I knew I would say about a year in that I wanted to marry him. I knew he was going to be the one. I obviously knew 
it wouldn't be for a few years, but I knew this was the guy that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. With that being said, you know, we did talk about getting married, where we'd want to live, how many kids we'd want to have, that stuff. Obviously, the warnings with saying that usually go towards people who may not actually end up getting married. So I think if this is someone you're pretty sure is going to be the one, even if it does take a bit of time, I think that it is okay to talk about those things. This is probably the person that you see as your best friend too, and you would naturally tell them most things. And so I think that it's okay to talk about those things. I don't think there's any harm if this is someone that you're pretty sure you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Like I said in a previous answer, we chose not to necessarily share all of our spiritual thoughts with one another until we were married. But boundaries are so hard because they obviously vary so much from person to person. So it is going to be whatever you feel comfortable with. If it's just something that you don't feel comfortable talking about, just let them know. Be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't talk about this so much. Maybe if it's weighing on you, maybe if you're feeling a little bit discouraged by talking about it, just kind of put it on the back burner. Be transparent that you don't want to talk about it and he'll respect that. She then says, I'm a medical student in a big East Coast city. My school puts a huge focus on collaborative team-based learning, which I absolutely love. But since COVID hit, it has been so challenging for me to study and learn alone. I'm now in clinical rotations, which means that after daily 12 to 13 hour shifts in the hospital, I have to make time to study at home for the exams I take at the end of each rotation. I've been living alone since July because my roommate moved home for family reasons and loneliness and slothfulness have been really weighing me down. I have wonderful, loving relationships in my life, and I'm so thankful to be in medical school, but it is already almost impossible for me to find the motivation to study, cook, or exercise when I come home from during, when I come home during long hours of winter darkness to an empty apartment. With my first exam fast approaching, I really need to find a way to push through this, and I've always admired your worth ethic in ways you stay disciplined as you work from home on your own schedule. Do you have any advice? Wow. Well, my schedule is not nearly (laughs) that demanding, so please don't compare yourself to mine. I work probably 30 to 40 hours a week and nothing more, (laughs) and so I am on a much different path, but I will give you major creds. You, I think, just have to accept that this is like a very intense part of your life, and it is going to be a lot of school focus, a lot of work-focused and exercise and those things aren't necessarily going to be at the top of the line. I don't even know how you would find time to like work out if you're working 12 to 13 hour shifts daily and then you have to study and then somehow you have to cook and exercise. I don't even know how you would. I guess you would probably come home and then study for a few hours, then go to sleep. I don't even know how you would do anything else. I think maybe for exercise, try to find a couple nights a week that you could do it or wake up earlier. I'm not sure when you start work. If you do that just a few times a week and try to keep yourself committed to it. With exercise, for me, it's one of those things that if I'm not doing it for a long period of time, I have no interest in doing it. If I am doing it daily, it's something that I crave and that I want to do daily. So you just kind of have to find that balance of exercising every now and then and finding exercises that you like too. Do you like to run? Do you like a 30-minute Pilates video? Do you like HIIT workouts? Finding something that you actually enjoy doing and just doing it a couple times a week I think can definitely be really helpful. But that's so hard. I definitely relate. When we were in Vermont, when it got dark at 4.30 in the afternoon it was so hard for me to be productive at all. I just wanted to sleep. So I don't know how you would get back and 
try to study or exercise or cook, I'm just really amazed. You do a really good job balancing it all. But yeah, I think just having grace with yourself, but also making yourself just kind of stick to a schedule and know that, okay, Tuesday, I have to get a workout in. Friday, I have to get a workout in, whatever it may be, and just sticking to it. And once you do it once, it definitely gets easier the more that you do it. This one says, my question is, how can I be a good motivator for my boyfriend without being too much? He just started a new weight loss routine lifestyle, but I noticed that he doesn't really talk about it with me. I try my best to be involved by asking him how it's going or suggest meal prepping together, but he often gives me short answers or says he'd rather meal prep by himself. He usually likes to do things with me, so I kind of find this kind of odd, but I'm trying not to let it get to me too much. How can I be a supportive girlfriend I want to be without being overbearing and still respecting his space? This one is so hard. I think that's really tough when someone you love is trying to like lose weight or kind of get on a new routine. From my perspective, it sounds like it may be something that he's being private about because he's not super thrilled about. I mean, obviously losing weight, unless it's done in a really positive way, it can be something that you feel kind of ashamed that you even have to lose weight. I mean, maybe he's kind of keeping it to himself because he's a little bit shy about it and it's not something he's really thrilled about it. And so I think the best thing you can do is just keep asking him how he's doing and maybe not even as much like, oh, hey, let's meal prep together or oh, hey, let's work out together. I don't know, whatever it may be. Just ask him how he's doing, how he's feeling through it, and maybe just ask him how you can help or just straight up ask him, do you want me to talk to you about this? And then as a girlfriend, I think that you can just suggest doing things that are going to fit his lifestyle. It can be really hard. I know in my family, we've had people, spouses, or one of us who are trying to eat healthier, but then they come over and we're eating like really unhealthy And so it can be really helpful if you just suggest, you know, healthier date nights or going for a walk or something that's a little bit more active, being subtly helpful towards his routine, but not outwardly saying like, I'm suggesting this because you're trying to lose weight, you know, I think that can be helpful. But I think just being there for him. And like I said, just asking how he's doing, because you never know if he's struggling with it, if he's feeling insecure, if he's feeling down, just be there. And even though he may be kind of short with you about it it doesn't necessarily mean he's mad at you or anything it doesn't mean thinks you're overbearing it's probably something else that's on his mind so maybe try getting to what's on his mind instead but that's definitely hard I really hope it goes well for him and I hope this helped you to kind of navigate going through that this one says how do you and Aiden divide up your saving and investing I know you mentioned that you're saving for a home so I was wondering how y'all think about how much goes to a retirement versus saving for a house versus general saving so this is obviously going to vary from person to person but as far as retirement goes Aiden does his through his job so they have like a matching program or whatever so he does it through them and he does like a certain percentage that we just figured would be best for him we really value retirement and think that investing in retirement is important so it is a big chunk of not necessarily a big chunk every month for him but for me I'm self-employed so my retirement income comes out usually in December so before I do my taxes for the next year it's a pretty big tax write-off to be able to say that you contributed to an IRA or whatever So I usually like to do the max amount that I'm allowed to do for my income for that, which I know may seem really hard in the moment because the thing with retirement, you're not getting the benefits until you're 72. So it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. But if you start when you're 18, 20, whatever, 
I just think it's really important to start now, especially for me. I don't know how long I'm going to have the income that I have, so I just try to max it out right now. And then for a home, we just save for this money in our normal savings account because obviously this is money for a down payment and we want to have money to contribute at least 20% to whatever house we get or whatever. And so we just save for that in our savings account and it's something that we budget for. So whenever we get our income, there's a certain amount that we put there. And then just general saving. I think the hardest thing for me, I've always wanted to have a lot of general savings versus you should be investing money because it just makes more sense. And so he's really helped me a lot because he has more of an investment mindset versus I have more of a, I like to have cash in my bank account mindset. But I don't know if there's a certain percentage. I know my friend Natalie Barbu just posted a video on saving for a house. I'll have it in the show notes. But she kind of came up with a way, if you're trying to get a $300,000 house, how much you should save each month or whatever. And so you just have to calculate it and see where you're at. But I would rather take a little bit longer to save that money for a house and make sure we're contributing to a retirement fund as much as we can to make sure we're investing our money as much as we can and then having the house. Or just buying a house that is more modest, that's better for these other investments being in line too. Because I think there's this thing called being house poor when you spend all your money on your house and then you have no retirement, you don't have money to buy furniture to furnish the house. So it gets tricky, but I don't know if there's a set amount. We just know in our minds like, okay, we want to have X amount of money ready to put down for a house. And so I'm assuming we'll probably buy a house that's like three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars starting out like a starter home in here in texas we've been looking at a lot of housing prices and that's kind of like the three bedroom two bathroom house average price around us in dallas i think you can kind of see what kind of house you can actually afford in terms of a mortgage and then see how much money you need to have saved for a down payment for that house and then kind of go after that so what are some of the ways you prepared yourself financially for marriage what were negotiables for you versus non-negotiables preparing financially for marriage was just being open with if we had debt and if we had like x amount of money saved we were just transparent about like this is how much I make, this is how much I have saved. Obviously, that stuff's going to be pretty obvious once you get married. And we had those conversations before getting married. And so just being transparent. I personally believe in having joint bank accounts. So that was something that I wasn't really willing to negotiate on. I think it's really important for a marriage, at least for me and my views of marriage. I know everyone's different and some people have separate and that works for them, but just for me and the kind of person I am, I never wanted money to be something that was a huge problem and I just worried about having like separate accounts that were kept a secret that we didn't tell people about or that we had secret credit card debt that we kept in the dark. I just didn't want any of those things to be an issue, so we just have always valued being very transparent about finances and I think that for us, that really helped because sometimes we'll have a month where we just spend maybe a little bit too much. We can kind of just sit down and be like, okay, this was too much spending. We're not really sticking to our budget. We can just sit down and talk about that versus when money is something that's so separate and secretive. I think that is when you can have issues. But I know a lot of people think you can also have issues when one person's making more than the other and it's joint 
and it just becomes messy. So it just depends. I am a big Dave Ramsey fan. And so most of the knowledge that I talk about, the things that I mention on here are from his kind of wisdom. I had Rachel Cruz on. If you guys want to listen to her, she is Dave Ramsey's daughter. And that was a really good episode. If you want to know more about kind of preparing for marriage financially, I think that was helpful as well. So the title of this one says, How to Tune Out a Drama Queen. So of course I had to answer this one, but it says, Something I've been struggling with lately is not liking my boyfriend's brother's girlfriend. I guess you could technically call her an in-law for short, even though we or they are not married. I know that their life and relationship should not annoy me this much, but I constantly seem to be judging their choices and how much she has changed him as a person. He moved to the city to be near her and never hangs out with his family anymore. She always makes decisions for him and he is basically an exact replica of her now practically a robot. My boyfriend's dad even calls her the warden because she basically forces him to be a prisoner to whatever she wants. I started getting annoyed with her ever since last Christmas when she gifted my boyfriend's parents a framed collage of family pictures including her and not one single picture of me was included even though my boyfriend and I have been dating longer than they have. What? At family get-togethers, she always seeks for attention and acts like she's a celebrity but we can all see past it except her boyfriend. He bends over backwards for her constantly, and yet sometimes I see on the Instagram Explore page that she has liked photos about breakups and how to deal with a partner who is not right for you. They always seem to be up and down, and then then they seem to put on a facade of a perfect couple when around family. Before he moved out, he was even locked in his room almost every day on the phone with her about something new. I know that I shouldn't care so much. And their relationship literally has no effect on mine and my happiness. My boyfriend and I are perfectly stable and I've never had drama like this. I think I just enjoy the drama and it's driving me crazy that I care so much about someone's life. I already listened to your episode about in-laws and advice for not getting along, but this girl just never seems to stop with her antics. It seems like she wants to be the favorite girlfriend all the time while also keeping her boyfriend on a leash. I try just to tune it out, but it gets the best of me, and I keep wondering what she's up to next. (laughs) It's like a bad trash TV show. I keep coming back for more drama. Oh my gosh, this one is so funny because I think reading this, you hear stories like this, and you just think, why am I so captivated by this? But I think it's in our deep, like, sense of being where we kind of like drama. It's why drama videos and we're so interested in like sipping the tea all that stuff online that there's something innate about us that really enjoys that and I think it's because I was listening to a Joe Rogan episode and he was interviewing someone who it was the guy who made the social dilemma the documentary how we whenever we were like hunters and gatherers if you weren't accepted by the pack you literally wouldn't survive. The reason why we're so dependent on our reputation and feeling good about ourselves and really liking where we are is because we would literally not survive if we had a bad reputation when we were hunters and gatherers. That was such an interesting episode. I really enjoyed listening to it. But I think there's something with drama where even especially with family drama, where you like being the one who is not the crazy one. Like, there are times in our family where my sister Jamie has been the one people didn't like or not that people didn't like, but that people were annoyed by or I was the one people were being annoyed by or my brothers were the ones being the the ones that people were annoyed by. And there's something as a sibling where you feel satisfied that you're not that person at that moment, even though it can definitely be used soon enough. And so I think it's something in your deep being where you kind of do like the drama And it makes me happy that you recognize that you're like this and that you know it's bad for you and you know you shouldn't, but you do. 
So at least you have that part of it started where you kind of can recognize it. But something that I had to do, because there was a time when I really did get interested in like drama online and it's easy to get sucked in, but it always makes me feel like a worse person when I get into it. And so specifically on Instagram, I just wouldn't look at that stuff. I wouldn't watch videos about drama and then soon I didn't crave it anymore. Soon I just didn't really want to be a part of it. And so I think you kind of have to accept that, hey, this isn't good for me. I shouldn't be liking that this person is not really accepted by the family and just moving on. And I know that she's annoying at the gatherings. There's always that person who is kind of being annoying at the family gathering, I feel like. And you just kind of have to, you just kind of have to accept it and not draw attention to it and move on. At least she doesn't live right by you guys. So it's not like it's someone who you see all the time. But that's definitely hard and it sounds like they probably do have relationship issues and so this might not be something that's going to last for the long term anyways. And so you don't necessarily need to invest your energy in it because it is going to die off here soon. So I'm just happy you submitted this because I think it's really funny and it's one of those things people don't like to admit. But it does stink going through and it also stinks knowing that you enjoy it. So I appreciate it. This one says, you talk a lot about how close you are with your family and I really admire that. My family and I are not very tight-knit and it's something I want to be intentional about in the future when I'm married and have my own family. I'm currently a younger college student so still spend time at home over breaks and it's difficult. Do you have any advice for my future marriage and family to turn things around from the way I grew up? Was there anything your parents did that stuck out to you and that you for sure want to do in your family? And with that, how can I try to stay present with where God has me now and I'm constantly looking to the new thing? So there are a few different things that I think really shaped my childhood and I think are seemingly small things in the moment that I didn't realize, but actually are the reasons why my family's so tight-knit. So the first one is just the fact that me and my siblings are all very close in age. We're all two years apart. So I have four siblings And because we were all so close in age, and I think that we are closer to the people who we're closer in age with within the family, that that's the reason why we're all pretty tight-knit. But another thing that I think was really pivotal as well was the fact that we ate dinner together every single night. If another person had like a sports practice, we would try to eat dinner as a family every single night. And that meant my mom cooked a meal for us. That meant my dad was home from work by seven to eat dinner. And so these are things that my parents had to sacrifice for. You know, my mom had to spend time every single night cooking. My dad had to make sure he didn't work late every single night. Occasionally he did have to work late, but we just had family dinners and it really is important to sit down as a family and they would be long and we couldn't get up from the table until everyone was done and, you know, we were done talking. And I think that was a big reason why my family's really close. Another thing that I think people really overlook is physical touch as a kid. I learned about this a lot. I had a professor, his name is Dr. Bradley at King's, but specifically with boys and their dads, he talked about how important it is for dads to hug their kids, to really be affectionate, because I think there's this image of dads where they're not super affectionate they're not very close with their kids and he just talked about how important it is for a child's development to be touched and you know to wrestle with your kids and just really be physically close with your kids and so that was another thing that I think both my parents to do you know my mom 
hugged all of us a lot. My dad wrestled with us. My mom would pray with us at night. They were just very involved in our childhood and not in a way where we thought we were the top of the world. We never thought we were celebrities or anything. My parents were not helicopter parents in terms of having a ton of rules, wanting to know where we were every single time of the day. They were actually very lax parents. But when we were home, it was just very clear that my parents loved us. It was very clear that we could share anything we wanted to with our parents and there wouldn't be judgment and they would always accept us. And that was really important. And it's kind of intimidating for me now because I feel like I just grew up with such a good childhood. And obviously I had flaws. There were things that my parents made mistakes. We made mistakes. There was just always a tight knit bond because we did spend so much time together. And it was just clear that my parents really loved us. I think another thing that just like practically, we didn't grow up super well off or anything. And my parents provided a really awesome life for us but we weren't doing 10 different sports growing up. We weren't doing all these select teams is what we'd call them in Texas where they were like competition teams. We weren't traveling all the time. We weren't always super busy to the point where we never saw each other. We usually got to do one thing. So I danced growing up. My siblings played basketball. There was a period where Jamie did art. And so we each had a thing we got to do, but you know, that was kind of it. There wasn't a ton of things that we would do. And I do think that kind of living a simpler life, it made me have to be bored and have to do stuff with my siblings and really spend time with them. And it's the reason why I started my YouTube channel was because I just had time alone where I was bored with the camera and I started it. And so I think it's good to let kids have the freedom to be bored and not always have organized events for them to where they can hang out with their siblings. So that is my personal advice. I think it's nice that you acknowledge that you kind of want to do things different than the way your family did it if it's not the way you want to raise your family. And it's also just acknowledge that even if you didn't grow up that way, you can always do that with your future family or your future partner, whatever it may be, and kind of change that situation. After being apart for a little over two years and only staying in touch over email and letters, my best friend from high school and I are starting to realize that we have feelings for each other. I really like him, but I'm concerned dating him might risk losing his friendship if things don't work out. I love having him in my life and honestly can't picture not having him around, but I struggle to see how it could work out, mainly because we attend universities an hour apart from each other. What is your best advice for how to move forward? So I've gotten questions similar to this for a while, basically someone kind of starting to like their best friend and realizing that they have feelings for their best friend. And I have always been of the mindset that you should go for it and tell this person I think there are usually those fears of, you know, maybe it's going to ruin our friendship. Maybe this won't work out. And there are always going to be a thousand reasons why you shouldn't do the thing that you want to do. And that's just something that is always going to be there. But if this person's your best friend, if they truly know you and they truly spend a lot of time with you, they're going to want what's happiest for you. And if they also like you, then it might turn out for the better. And so I just think you should be open And I think worst case, maybe they aren't interested at the time, but maybe down the road something happens. You just don't know. I also think that only being an hour apart from each other really isn't that far away. You're actually still relatively close. And so you could actually spend time with this person and get to know them better. And only being an hour apart, like you can definitely go back and forth between each other's colleges. And so that is my mindset. I just feel like life's too short. And I have heard so many stories of people dating their best friends. And it seems like it makes for the best 
relationship because you're already friends before and you said that he just got back from his church mission and so I just feel like things are really moving and grooving for you to make your feelings known so that's my advice I feel like you should just go for it and leave the rest in the dust you know so I love this question because um this girl she actually put like a thesis in the beginning and this is so me like my type one brain it's bolded and then she's got the details and then she's got another bolded question so but she says here's my dilemma my boyfriend and i do not spend the holidays with each other and he is not open to discussing when we will or can start spending the holidays together for context i am turning 25 and my boyfriend is 31 we have been dating for nearly four and a half years and we have discussed moving in together in august Hence, we are older and serious about our relationship, yet still dating. For further context, my boyfriend's mother is emotionally and financially dependent on him and lives a relatively lonely life as she is unmarried and her older children do not visit her frequently. Plus, my boyfriend's mother does not speak any English, so we barely speak to each other. My boyfriend is not open to discussing when is an appropriate time for us to start spending the holidays together. He believes that we should discuss it when we, meaning him, are ready to start and not a year or two in advance. He has hinted at once we live together or we are engaged, then we could start alternating the holidays between our families. His mother is always welcome to join my family, and I have suggested spending the holidays with just him and his mom, yet none of these suggestions seem to appease him. How do I approach this topic of conversation without triggering my partner? Do I wait it out and see if he has a change of heart or accept defeat now? So this is really tricky because there are a lot of people who kind of are nervous about their boyfriend spending the holidays with them because it's definitely like a serious step. I never spent the holidays with Aiden while we were dating. We would visit each other though. Like we would go back and forth, but it wouldn't be me spending Thanksgiving with him, me being there for Christmas with him or anything. We are just now starting to do that now that we're married. And so I can honestly kind of see his mindset of wanting to wait until you're engaged or living together or whatnot. But I think just having the conversation, even if he is a little bit resistant to having it, it seems like he's in a very different situation where it's just him and his mom and his mom is very dependent on him. And so maybe kind of have a compromise that you spend a couple of days before the holidays with him. Maybe you spend Christmas Eve with his family. See if he would be down for that. Maybe see if you can just go a couple of days before Christmas or something. I think there are ways that you can kind of get around not necessarily being there for Christmas, but starting to sneak it in a little bit to where you're there for the holiday season, if you will. But that's definitely hard. I know it's hard when you feel like you want to be welcomed and included in a family and you just aren't necessarily getting that traction. But I would definitely talk about it. I'm always a believer that you should communicate instead of just waiting for someone to understand your issues and understand your thought process that he should just kind of talk it through there might be a specific reason why is it his mom who doesn't want you to be there maybe there is just a reason that he's not saying and if it's just him and his mom it might be the situation where his mom really loves having him to herself maybe he knows that she doesn't like the idea of another woman being in his life you just kind of have to realize things are a little bit more nuanced and it may seem that he just doesn't want you to be there for Christmas, but maybe it goes deeper than that. And so just have that conversation, talk it out. I know family stuff is really difficult though, so I definitely 
feel for you. So that is it for all of my advice for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. It really means a lot to me that you guys participate. I also didn't read the little blurbs you guys put in the beginning of really liking the podcast and enjoying my content. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to all those. It means the world to me. I wish I could say it in a more convincing way but I seriously am so thankful for you guys and it just means so much that you guys actually listen to this podcast every week and make me a part of your Monday your Tuesday or Wednesday whenever you're listening I'm so thankful so let me know if you guys enjoyed this episode let me know if you want to hear more advice episodes let me know what else you want to listen to you can always dm me on instagram it's just at michelle reed also if you're listening to this please tag me in an Instagram story if you post one. Those make my day, especially seeing those on Monday morning, people on their walks, people listening on the couch, people listening while they're doing chores. It just makes my day seeing those. So definitely feel free to tag me in an Instagram story, just at Michelle Reed, and I will definitely respond. So thank you guys so much. Feel free to write a review if you guys are new. If you're on Apple Podcasts, it bumps up my podcast in the charts. So that would mean a lot to me, but I love you guys. I'm thankful for you guys, and I will talk to you guys in my next episode. Bye, friends. Oh, 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 oh,